today on CityCast Philly. How do we tell the stories of the past, especially when what was accepted back then isn't acceptable now? There's an ongoing series from the Philadelphia Inquirer called A More Perfect Union that has been exploring the roots of systemic racism in America through institutions that have been founded right here in the city. It's Monday, October 17th, 2022. I'm Trinae Nuri, and this is CityCast Philly. Journalist Zoe Greenberg, your latest story for this series is about how the University of Pennsylvania is starting to reckon with its history and connection to slavery. Tell me a little bit about what you found. Yeah, so basically the University of Pennsylvania is one of the oldest universities in the country. And for many decades, it had said that it was on the right side when it came to slavery. And that's partly because it um, was in a northern state. It's a historically Quaker state with abolitionist roots. So basically, the university said, we don't really have ties to slavery. This is something that other schools and colleges are dealing with. But, you know, it's not a problem here. And in 2018, a group of students who were working with the Penn historian Kathleen Brown, decided to start digging into the university's history. And they found that, you know, that really wasn't true. Right. So Zoe, finding this new truth, what did the students and the professor find? So they found a number of things. They found that at least 75 of the trustees of the university owned people. Mm. Um, including the first provost, which is sort of the modern equivalent of a university president. Um, One of the most striking things they found was information about a man named Caesar who was enslaved and labored on Penn's campus. And for his work, the university actually uh, reimbursed his enslaver, who was a Penn professor. They also found that the university organized fundraising trips to South Carolina and to Jamaica in the 1770s, specifically to raise money from slaveholding families. And so they visited many of the wealthiest people in Charleston, for example, you know, all of whom were major slaveholders. When the students of the Penn and Slavery Project found this information, I mean, what was their reaction? So it was interesting. One of the students I talked to was Van Jessica Gladney, and she was an undergraduate, and now she's pursuing a PhD in history at Penn. And when other schools, you know, for example, Georgetown was one, or Princeton, there's a number of other schools that started looking into their own histories, she sort of felt a little bit proud of her school and she felt sort of a little bit virtuous about the school's history. And so she told me about having one conversation with Kathleen Brown, who was her professor, and saying, you know, I'm really glad that Penn doesn't really have anything to account for, unlike these other schools. And and it turned out that that wasn't the case. <laughs> it turned out that that wasn't the case. And Kathy Brown was pretty skeptical of it. And she said, you know, I'm putting together this group of students to look into this, actually. And Van Jessica thought, OK, well, I guess I'll look into it, too. And, you know, she she told me that she she really didn't like 
being wrong and she felt like she had kind of been misled a bit. And so she wanted to, she wanted to really devote herself to figuring out what had happened. And I know for Van Jessica Gladney, who identifies as Black and is a PhD student at Penn, part of this revelation for her came about because of a statue on campus. Zoe, can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, so Gladney passed this statue of George Whitfield, who was a preacher, on Penn's campus. It was a statue that was right in front of the freshman dorms, and she never knew, you know, who this guy was. And then when she started doing this research, she learned that this was a guy who had basically devoted himself to re-legalizing slavery in Georgia when it was still a colony. So slavery had been outlawed and he launched a campaign which ended up being successful to re-legalize it. And he basically had a very limited connection to the University of Pennsylvania, but the university had kind of chosen to connect itself to him and to, you know, unveil this statue on their campus because his followers owned a building that became Penn's first campus. And if they tied themselves to Whitfield, they could claim that the university was founded earlier than they had claimed in the past. And that meant that they could actually sort of beat out their Ivy League rivals. So they could beat out Princeton. They could say, we were the fourth college and the first university. So I think, you know, saying it now, it sounds a little bit petty, but... um, Yeah, for sure. (laughs) But what Van Jessica felt like it showed was that her school had made really conscious choices about what history it wanted to remember and celebrate and emphasize and what history it felt like wasn't really important. Right. And in recent years, you know, we've heard more and more calls for statues like this to be taken down because of their connection to America's systemic racist roots. So do you think that what's happening at Penn is reflective of maybe a larger conversation about the histories that get to be told in America? I think definitely. And I think one of the things um, that Kathy Brown, who was the historian at Penn, that she talked about was that in these two decades, during which Penn was sort of denying its ties, there's been sort of a cultural shift, I think, in mainstream and in white America, basically redefining or or sort of rethinking how foundational slavery was to the nation. And so it's been sort of a nationwide reckoning and that I think also came to Penn. And so back in the early 2000s, when Penn said it didn't have any ties to slavery, they were kind of, as she put it, using a different idea of what counted, you know, because I think at this point, it's pretty clear that any institution that required a huge amount of wealth would be tied to the, you know, the greatest producer of wealth right, in, in early America. slave trade, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think at this point, that's, you know, we are coming to reckon with that. Although I will say that there are still very live and active debates around this, around the country in terms of what books can be on shelves and right. how race and racism can be addressed in the classroom. You know, Zoe, I also thought it was really interesting in the story that Brianna Moore, who graduated from Penn, 
found that two of her relatives were enslaved by someone who also had graduated from Penn. I mean, that's just incredible. Yeah, Brianna Moore was a really interesting person to speak with. She is also now pursuing a PhD in Penn in history, and she had done all of this archival research and basically realized that her family was enslaved by Penn alumni in the 1800s. And um, she was able to trace them back. And she, she talks about how she viewed that research as a kind of microcosm of the way that slavery robbed her family of its wealth and transferred it to another family. And that family used some of the money to pay tuition at Penn. She talks about how it took 200 years for someone in her family to attend an Ivy League school, which she did, but her family's enslavers did 200 years ago. Zoe, what other moments while you were reporting this story really stuck out to you? Yeah, well, I will say one other thing about Mark Fraser Lloyd, who is the um, university archivist emeritus, so he no longer works at Penn. But we had an interesting conversation in which he explained sort of what went into the process when he said that Penn had no ties to slavery. And he basically said that as a historian, he doesn't think that history should be used to advance any kind of political position in the present day, and that uh, he did not want to investigate too much into Penn's past because he feared that it would advance the cause of reparations, and he didn't support that. So when reporters asked him, does Penn have any ties to slavery, he basically he basically hedged is what he explained to me and said, we don't know. And he didn't, you know, attempt to to learn more. But now the university would like to learn more. Yeah. So, so then the students actually did start to learn more and, um, and he helped them find more information. This was about a decade later, he pointed them in the direction where he knew that information would be. So I think it's, it's an interesting kind of um, journey. So Zoe, You explained a little bit about this, how other universities like Georgetown have been grappling with their past of benefiting financially from having enslaved people. I mean, how is Penn responding to the new research that is coming out of Penn and Slavery Project? So back in 2018, when the students first presented some of their findings, Penn acknowledged their work and they thanked them for it and they put together a working group involving faculty. But since then, they really haven't done much to respond. I think, you know, scholars and and activists that I spoke to said that they're kind of happy to be in the middle of the pack on this. So they certainly have not been a leader. Some of the examples of what other schools have done that Penn still hasn't done are They haven't created any permanent monuments on campus related to Penn's history with slavery. So that's something that schools like Princeton have done. Um, They haven't created any kind of center to do more research about slavery and the college. That's something that Brown University did. They haven't done anything related to restitution for descendants of people who were enslaved. So Georgetown, for example, is working on... Um, raising 
money to dis- to distribute to projects that would benefit the descendants of those who were enslaved by the school. And, you know, even sort of most simply, Penn promised that it would join this group called University Studying Slavery, which has more than 100 schools as members, to, in 2018, Penn promised to do that, and yet the school still has not joined. Now it's four years later. Okay, so what ultimately do students professors and alumni want? What do they want Penn to do? I think that's a really good question. And I think it's it's kind of a um, challenging question to answer. Part of the thing that I found researching this and reporting this story is that there isn't exactly a student organization that's focused on pushing Penn forward, specifically on its ties to slavery. So One example of something like this was at Georgetown, students organized and they voted to um, increase fees for students by, I think, about $27 a person. And that was actually going to go towards sort of a reparations fund. So that, you know, was really kind of grassroots from the students. And at Penn, I think it's not totally clear what, what students and faculty and alumni want to happen. I think Penn is still in a moment where it's kind of becoming aware of its own history, which is a little bit earlier in the process than some of these other schools. Wow. Very interesting. Zoe Greenberg, Philadelphia Inquirer reporter. Thanks so much for being here on CityCast Philly. Thanks so much for having me. Zoe and other members of the team behind A More Perfect Union are doing a live event on November 3rd to further discuss higher education's connection to systemic racism. We'll drop a link in our show notes if you're interested in learning more and want to register for the event. And here's what else Philly's talking about. Soon, a state bill will be introduced that aims to provide free tuition for Indigenous people to public universities across the state. According to WHYY, State Representative Chris Rabb is planning to introduce this bill during Native American Heritage Month in November. Rabb was behind an effort back in 2018 that sought to end Columbus Day and replace it with Indigenous Peoples Day. Wawa said it's closing two Center City stores because of safety and security concerns. According to 6ABC, the move comes after a group of women stole items and hurt an employee at the Wawa on 36th and Chestnut Streets. And last month, a Wawa in Mayfair was ransacked by teens. The stores that are slated to close are at 12th and Market Streets and 19th and Market Streets. A Wawa spokesperson said all associates from those two stores will be offered continued employment at Wawa. That's all for today here on CityCast Philly. If you enjoyed the show, tell a friend, rate the show, leave us a review. Subscribe to our morning newsletter too. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Oh, I had to get used to that. See you later. Bye. Okay, here we go. Three, two, one.